When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So going back to the dating consulting thing, I've also had clients who were who were very wealthy, leaned on their success almost too much, but they didn't like develop themselves as a person at all. And so, and this is my, when people say, all you need is money and you'll get the girls. That's, that's not true. Like, like not, you also right. need to have a personality and you need to like, you know, be interesting. And he, and these like more successful types definitely were the ones that looked at it as like this business transaction and like they had like all of these like guidelines of what they wanted like i want a girl that works remote i want a blonde she has to be this this weight she has to like they had all of these things that they they were like i have enough money i should just be able to go and buy a wife you know what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms. So please sit back, relax and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health. And today I have with me Miss uh, Brandy Bishop. We found each other through the great Twitter sphere. And um, I don't want to say she threw rocks at me, but um, you know, we, we had a pretty... A good conversation about red pill topics, but we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. So um, I guess first things first, give yourself a, a brief introduction, just in case my listeners don't know who you are. Hello, I am Brandy Bishop or Creatrix on Twitter, and I am a libertarian uh, artist, creator. I uh, All of my money comes from creating in some way, shape or form. And uh, I'm also the co-host of Decentralized Revolution for the Mises Caucus. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I am no longer part of the Mises Caucus, but I did some do some recruiting a couple uh, years ago to make sure to get everybody to the uh, convention here in Pennsylvania back for 2022. And um, I don't regret any of it. I definitely had a good time. But, um, you know, as uh, time kind of moved on, I realized that my efforts were in my opinion, best put elsewhere. And that's not a dig on anybody who does that, obviously. So um, I, I guess uh, we'll do the first lame liberty question of what kind of brought you over into this space? And add to becoming a libertarian? Yes. So I actually, uh, when I was younger, I was 
would have been considered like a Marxist. I was, I came from the communist philosophy um, and was very anti, it was the Bush era. It was very anti-war, all that stuff. Um, and also believed that the government could actually save us. <laughs> and, uh, but then I slowly, like I moved from that. I feel like that was like me being young and edgy, like when mm -hmm. I was a communist and then moved more to like, like social Democrat, like democratic socialist type of thing. And then um, just what really changed my mind was two things. I started a business and that made me see things a little differently than I did before I had started a business. And then also reading Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell, which I think like for like a early person, like a person kind of just learning about capitalism and like how markets work and all that stuff. I think that those two are really good at explaining it in a simplified way, you know, where it's easy to understand. Um, so then I moved into a more moderate direction, I would say, and then I landed over in libertarian land. <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of seemingly a, a normal journey, not necessarily for Marxism, but kind of like, uh, people get their toes wet with, uh, like, you know, Friedman or soul, because I think they're very, very, how do I want to say this? Like palatable um, economists they put things in a very very clean way and they make it very very simple to understand and plus they're relatively mainstream compared to you know maybe someone like peter schiff or bob murphy where they're not like hidden but they're definitely a little bit more in the weeds than um yeah. let's say your solar freedman um was there a particular thing other than starting your business that kind of made you shift a little more i don't want to say necessarily right but a little bit more market focused rather than I, maybe we would say labor focused. Um, I will say uh, the business aspect of things really was like a huge driver for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, so I I managed a strip club as well, and I, I just feel <laughs> oh, like okay. I did. I managed a strip club for for a long time, like I think six years. No, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little longer than that. Um, and. I don't know. I think just like working and like being in the workforce. I, I actually know communists because I'm a Twitch streamer as well. I didn't mention that, but, and I have communist, like young 19 year old Marxists in my, in my chat and stuff that are in my community. And like, it, it's just so funny because it just reminds me of me when I was that age. And it is kind of just like this edgy thing. I think, I think it's, it's, a form of rebellion, I would say. <laughs> but they yeah. really aren't very educated in their own philosophy, to be completely honest. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people kind of pick that up. I don't want to say necessarily in rev or revolt to their parents, but um, I, I do think there is a spirit that you think this is some kind of very dissident ideology mm -hmm. that um, will make you more unique and that um, you know this knowledge was kind of hid from you and i think even people do that with libertarianism to a large degree oh, yeah. as well um where you feel like you weren't taught this and this is something that like if everybody knew the gospel right then uh the world would just automatically shape up and uh not that i necessarily think there's zero truth in that but i definitely think there's a lot more nuance and uh yeah i think a lot of people just kind of land on those ideologies just because they feel like it's been hidden from them and this is like the, the keys of the ferrari yeah. Yeah. And like these kids that are communists, they're not even in the workforce yet. I mean, I was in the workforce at a very young age. And I think I think that my my hate for capitalism, because I was anti-capitalism, obviously, mm -hmm. and 
my hate for capitalism and all of the things that I thought was wrong with the world that I blamed on capitalism, my realization came that it was actually the government. And it wasn't ca like all of the things that I thought was capitalism's fault was actually the state's fault. And so I was like, oh, that makes sense. I, I uh, yeah. And I do think Hollywood makes communism look really cool, mm -hmm. uh, especially in a lot of like older movies. Um, right. Um it's kind of funny because I listen to uh, Media Roots Radio a lot. Um, I really, really like uh, Abby and Robbie, and I actually talked to Robbie a little bit. Um, I've tried to get Abby on, but uh, she she emailed me back. But you know, that's that's kind of a subject for another time. They're uh, they're both like very, very left leaning people, and I think Abby considers herself like a downright socialist. But it's interesting to hear people who are in that camp, more of the left, you know, communist socialist camp. They get a lot of like the diagnoses right when it comes to the issues, but they're not exactly certain on like why. Where they believe it's capitalism but they never kind of put the, together that it's the government that enables this stuff and it's you know because yeah. the government has a monopoly on violence and on you know the creation of money that enables businesses to act in a way that they wouldn't normally act when they're subject to free market uh you know consequences and risks where you know it's kind of like you said the government kind of bails these people out and allows them yeah. to act in ways that don't um that allow them just to operate poorly where they don't see the consequence of their actions. And it, it, I think the average leftist kind of looks at that and says, well, this is just the fault of capitalism, but nothing yeah. could be further from the truth. And it, it's almost kind of like the no true Scotsman fallacy where it's like, okay, well, you know, oh, well, that wasn't real socialism. That wasn't real capitalism. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I feel like our case is a lot stronger than saying not real socialism. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. And that's, I actually, I have friends with a lot of people on the left still. Uh, I actually was in this discussion yesterday about this particular topic. But yeah, it, it does, uh, like, I think the crony capitalism is what people aren't realizing. They're like m missing that part. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. what got you um, working with the Mises Caucus then? Because it sounds like you've, I'm going to guess probably been a libertarian for quite a while then. Um, what got you shuffled into the Mises Caucus rather than, let's say, the Republican Party, like a paleo-libertarian route? Um, well, so I should say, like, I've, I was, I've been libertarian-leaning for a while, but tried to really started wanting to get involved with the party in 2020 when I saw shit really, like, go downhill and all of that stuff with – lockdowns and the vax mandate and so i started actually reaching out to the lp and i'm in boston super left <laughs> and uh the lp wasn't what i expected like i was like wait like these people are not libertarians like a lot of them just did not seem like libertarians to me they all hated wrong paul for some reason i was very confused mm. and it, it made me very like disillusioned with the party like mm. it made I, I was like oh like these people fucking kind of suck so <laughs> so i kind of moved away like was just like oh like i felt really like oh wow so it's literally this this ideology has infiltrated like everything in this area and even the LP. Um, but then eventually, um, I think one, I saw Dave Smith, 
on Joe Rogan. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a libertarian that I, I don't agree with him on everything. But uh, he's someone that is at least somewhat more libertarian than these. Well, he is a libertarian. But I mean, like he. Um, you feel he represents the ideology yes. a lot better than yes. the people that you're used to. Exactly. So uh, that's what ma- introduced me to the Mises Caucus. Um, and then when we had like the whole takeover, the the takeover mm-hmm. drama, um, I was went to the convention and stuff for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's – yeah. I kind of get annoyed with left and right because – and this is almost like a platitude of itself when people say, oh, I reject left and right. Well, there is kind of like a traditional meaning of left and right. But I feel like if you ask, let's say, somebody that's like more paleo-libertarian, um, they're going to give you one definition. If you ask someone that's like a left-leaning libertarian, they're going to give you a different definition. If you ask 20 different people, you get 20 different different definitions mm-hmm. of left and right. And I feel like a lot of the people who like claim to be hard right-wingers – it kind of annoys me. And although like I probably share 99% of their values, um, just this circle jerk of being right wing, just I find that to be so cringy. But the people who like you know are left wingers, they make me gag. <laughs> I can't yeah. stand these people. And it seems like you kind of dealt with more people who are like maybe not overtly left wing. But if you're a libertarian and you hate Ron Paul, then clearly you're not you know yeah. any kind of like pap you can or anything like that yeah it, these people are definitely of like this victim mindset thing which i'm really not a fan of mm-hmm. i i don't i'm all about like personal responsibility and like taking accountability you know and it a lot of it was just like uh you know everything is racism everything is and and i guess like of course you can be libertarian and think that way but it's just it doesn't sit right with me i would say like i I don't know i think that that is a little misaligned when libertarianism in my opinion is all about personal responsibility you can't have liberty without personal responsibility yeah i definitely agree with that and i think some of these people who might be of what we would consider like a left-leaning persuasion they would definitely see libertarian more as a means to alleviate themselves of some of the social duties that are rightfully placed upon each individual um and i know people kind of poo-poo the idea of institutions or you know things like that but in let's say this anarcho-capitalist heaven that we all envision, you know, tomorrow, <laughs> um, <laughs> you would still have a lot of responsibility and um, maybe not overt institutions that are taxpayer funded, but you would still have different institutions that I think would require a certain obligation from the people who are inhabiting, let's say, a certain area that would uphold that institution. And I think in a more anarcho-capitalist society, it would be more um it would behoove you more to take more responsibility in that situation because um, you want to set a higher standard for those around you and kind of maintain the freedom that is, you know, your responsibility to maintain your community. Yeah. I mean, I'm, so I'm actually a minarchist, dirty minarchist. So I get a lot, I, I get a lot of shit. Like You're off the reservation fest. now. <laughs> <laughs> at Pork Fest, everyone was like, you're a minarchist. And everyone's trying to like convert me. Um, but I always say, it's not like I, I'm a minarchist on the outside, but I'm an ANCAP in my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just, for me, it's the, what do I think is more probable? And what do I think is possible? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I think that ANCAP is as plausible as minarchy though people could argue that neither are plausible (laughs) so um yeah 
I, I think it's a fair place to get off at. Um, I, I guess I would definitely say that I share that sentiment as well, because uh, I think anybody thinking that we're going to get the end cap stand anytime soon is completely out of their minds. Um, <laughs> one, one of the last episodes I recorded was with uh, Stephen Fox, who sponsors the show. He uh, runs a Fox and Sons Coffee, and him and I were kind of talking about this. But um, we also talked about farmers markets and how this is like almost like an anarchist thing. And you're starting to see this pop up all over the place. So I don't know if where you live, you have these, but like all the towns around me and even like where I live now, they have these farm markets where all the local businesses come up. They have like a trailer that they pull behind and they just sell stuff on like a certain street and like over a couple towns over they have one where i mean it's like they shut down a whole part of the town and they're just all over the place my wife and i haven't been able to go but i'm really really looking forward to it but um i think that's like an example of how anarchy actually works in the real world because you literally go to these places and they have like you know cash set up or you go in there and you buy tickets so that way you can go to the trucks and buy certain stuff from the trucks um I think that's definitely a more feasible way. It's almost like agorism, right? Yeah. Um, rather than minarchy or anarchism, um, something like that, I think is a lot more feasible rather than thinking that we're going to elect Dave Smith tomorrow or whoever's going to run under the LP ticket. Um, I think stuff like that's probably a better focus than political movements and not to say if there's no place yeah. for that, but I think you probably understand where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm all about like, I think that counter economic solutions, mm -hmm. like for sure. Like, I, I think that that is how we're going to be making sustainable change within the, within the world, <laughs> you know, is creating those kind of, uh, bottom up solutions to things. Uh, and I'm also a big fan of like the concept of mutual aid and all of that stuff. Like I I'm all for like bottom up solutions to problems instead of top down solutions. So Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think I've seen this a lot in my personal life where I was, I was trying to see if there was anything I could point to in my room that would uh, <laughs> kind of show. Um, my band plays the uh, Rock for Life charities. I talk about this a lot, and especially because it's going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks. But um, I mean, it's a perfect example of people that voluntarily come together for a good cause because they give like thousands it's a big festival that's goes on like out in the middle of nowhere in pennsylvania and like 20 bands come together on two different nights and they used to do like three events but this year's just one and um everybody pays 20 dollars to get in each night and then it's like thousands of dollars that they raise and they give to children who you know have cancer or something like that and uh i don't know just stuff like that's really really cool and i think it shows you that um when push comes to shove uh people generally do the right thing and will help for causes. And I mean, I think this is what like GoFundMe and stuff has shown overwhelmingly that people in need generally do get the help that they deserve. And obviously that's not always true, but like if you can kind of get enough traffic to something, then I think you can get the help that, you know, wh whatever you're asking for. Yeah. I mean, and I think that there's this misunderstanding on the left that, uh, capitalism and like free market solutions and that that it's inherently doesn't care about poor people it doesn't it's it's a uh, uh unempathetic it doesn't right. it uh, and that's why people with like high empathy are usually drawn more to left because they're like well we want to help the poor we want to help all of these people and so i always try my like goal whenever i'm talking to people on the left is trying to show them like actually capitalism is the more uh in my opinion, empathetic solution. Like, you know, like we've we've come out of poverty. I think 200 years ago, everyone lived under the poverty line. If it wasn't for capitalism, like we would be living in very bad 
uh, below uh, the current living standards. Like the poorest people of today, you know, are still living in better standards than most of the people in 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's because their worldview largely comes down to kind of the idea of equity, where um, they see inequity and they want to find a way to remedy that. And I think that's an honorable notion in small doses and when necessary, but take it to its logical conclusion. Then sometimes, obviously, that can be very, very tyrannical and cause a lot of mass death and uh, suffering. Yeah. Um, so, like one thing that I kind of get annoyed about, though, and um, I feel like maybe we're opposites here because I live in a rural area, so I live a around a lot of like right wingers. I mean, I've worked in the automotive industry for 10 years and like you won't find more people that like like to raise hell and praise Dale than uh, <laughs> that work on cars. Um, I, I get annoyed because a lot of people who claim to be right wingers will always say, oh, well, every single left winger, every Democrat, communist, socialist wants you dead. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> come on, guys. <laughs> like we, we if you're looking to expand the movement. Or if you have any kind of larger aspiration other than spurging online, you can't interact with everybody that disagrees with you like they're a demon, a Nazi, exactly. or that they want you dead. So um, I guess the first question would be, do you think every single person in Boston that disagrees with you that is left-leaning wants you dead? No, uh, <laughs> but I do think there are definitely people that do. Sure. <laughs> I mean, oh, absolutely. <laughs> like there are definitely people that uh, – well, really also comes down – one thing I've realized is that um, a lot of people are so invested, like their identity is so invested in these ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're having like a good faith debate with them and you get really close, like you're proving them wrong. Like you're just like, they're, they're, they're crumbling, you know, their arguments are crumbling. You get to the standstill where they're like, yeah, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. You know, like they just shut you down. Like they don't even want to keep it going. All right, guys. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. And it's because in my opinion, I think people, their identities are just so tied deeply. So when you're attacking an idea, it feels like you're attacking them. Mm -hmm. as a person, uh, which is why even now I try to like, as a libertarian, I mean, I identify as a libertarian, but I try to like keep that a little, a little distance because if I am proven wrong, I'm going to be like, okay, I was proven wrong and I'm willing to change my mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very hard for people once you wrap your identity around something. Yeah. So I guess this kind of gets into another question that I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on would be um kind of like the post-libertarian thing and i think this was where um 
the same kind of deal where a lot of people wrapped up themselves in the identity of I am a libertarian and this is your entire life. And like in my mind, the way even before I started, you know, making myself like an online person was like, okay, well, I am a musician. I'm an athlete. Um, I'm now a husband and I'm a mechanic and I'm many, many other things. And then my political beliefs are that I'm a libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my front and center thing isn't that I'm a libertarian, although I, you know, talk about these issues a lot. That's not the core of my being because I'm so much more than my political beliefs. Exactly. I, I think you're sharing the same sentiment. Um, so I guess this kind of goes to the larger idea of like, I, I think people, when they feel like their political identity has failed them, then they may feel like it's necessary to abandon that political ideology. But I, f- I think that's what happened with like the post libertarians, but I feel like a lot of people who, you know, kind of shift from one political identity to another kind of have that same moment where they feel like their political identity at that time had failed them. Mm. No. Mm. Yeah, i definitely, I, well, it's interesting because it that isn't why I left communism, like why I stopped being a communist. It, mm-hmm. For me, it was just like having my mind changed. But I do think sure. that maybe it's just harder for people to I'm very open to having my mind changed. And I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people, they aren't. And that right. requires a level of openness. I mean, to be fair, libertarians are traditionally higher in openness for the most part i think that i think there might be a little bit more of a slight now that we're there seems to be a lot of social conservatives and more of the conservative type of libertarians that i'm seeing these days which Mm -hmm. i would say that they might be a little less in openness (laughs) than uh most but um yeah i i think that you just gotta be willing to change your mind if you are proven wrong and that's easier said than done <laughs> yeah yeah um i if anyone's followed me for any period of time then they've probably seen me go to bat with people over artificial sweeteners seed oils anything nutrition related and it, it's always funny to me because like much like you said earlier with the people who watch you who are communists it's like you're talking to yourself because like whenever i talk to people about artificial sweeteners anything like that um all the nutrition dogma that people now oh, spew yeah. I fell for at one point and I had to have my mind changed to get to where I am now. And then obviously I'm much, much healthier now than I was when I was doing the carnivore diet. And when, you know, even before then, and people say, you know, you're supposed to get like unhealthier as you age, but you know, now I'm healthier at 28 than I was at 22, 23, 18 even. Um, But yeah, people really anchor themselves to their dogma and like, it's, the one thing that I always liked, and I can't remember who said it, but uh, it's really hard to get somebody's mind to change when their salary depends on their mind oh, not changing. Yeah. That's the fear of being like, like when you're a content creator, and then when you, when do you be, start just becoming a grifter? You know, like, right. it, it, like, like, it just that that trajectory. Like, it's I think it becomes very hard for people not to. Um, I've always wanted like keep that what keep me grounded i want to stay grounded and never get to like that grifter stage where i'm basically just pandering to my audience and telling them what they want to hear and never countering anything you know that's what happens on the left and like and and now i think that people on the right do it just as much um but yeah i actually agree with you i with this diet thing i've i said diets are like the new dogma and people Mm -hmm. do get their identity super entrenched in them Mm -hmm. and uh i think people uh like for me it's just so basic it's like just don't eat that many calories you know like it's just like Mm -hmm. this is the baseline and all of these other rules 
I mean, whatever works for you, fine. But like, I don't think that that like, if you're trying to lose weight, it really just comes down to the fact like exercise and just cut calories, like don't mm -hmm. eat as much. What you're eating is less important, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. No, no, I definitely agree. Um, you seem to take good care of yourself because you are very attractive and uh, you. you're not like, you don't look obese or anything like that. And I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and assume that you're probably older than me, but I don't want to say one way or the other. Um, I, uh, yeah, just the diet dogma stuff. What people don't realize either is that, um, and I really hit this point home as much as I can. And it's funny when I dunk on Tim Pool or, you know, go after somebody at the jugular, this gets all the attention in the world. But when I like am breaking down science about artificial sweeteners or I'm breaking down science about weight loss or eating disorders, um, nobody pays attention to that. But um, like when you make these hard rules around food, I was just talking about this on Sunday streams with uh, Forrest Mommy and Hex, is that um, when you make hard rules around food, typically this um, provides people like disinhibition. Um, and, and by that, like people will restrict really, really hard. And then as soon as they fuck up on their diet, it's off to the races. You know, I already fucked yeah. up once. So I might as well just, you know, give me the cheesecake, give me the ice cream, give me that, give me everything I'm not supposed to have because I already messed up. And that is a form of like, disordered eating which will eventually lead to an eating disorder and the one thing that nobody ever talks about and nobody knows is that every person who has an eating disorder one out of five of those people with an eating disorder will die from that eating disorder they're the deadliest mental disorder there is and when you sit here and demonize foods demonize food groups and tell people they can't have this because it's going to kill them that's what you're contributing to and i don't think people do that with that intent but people just don't realize how serious shit like that actually is Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I I know a lot of like uh <laughs> fundamentalist vegans, you know, and like mm -hmm. they're and and it, that one's interesting because it always comes down to like this moral issue too. Right. You know, it's tied in with like morality, so they're even more passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> Oh, yeah. I I I think moderation is key, you know. If you if if you overindulge then yeah it's going to be problematic but like eating like ice cream every once in a while or like you know even the occasional fast food like it's it, that's going to keep you if you completely restrict then you're going to end up like you said potentially going off the rails and just like being like fuck it i'll just eat whatever garbage comes my way but if you occasionally like if you allow yourself to indulge in those things you're going to be less likely to do that and mm -hmm. i mean i feel this way about like the whole uh like just repressing like anything having to do with like repressing like even in the con topic of like sex and stuff when people get like super repressive about that stuff i think it actually becomes more harmful <laughs> okay yeah well actually that provides a pretty good pivot then um so you had originally pitched yourself as a guest. I, I don't even want to say that because you did. What is your impression of kind of like the Manosphere stuff? And as I said before we got on air, um, I don't want to precondition you for this. Um, I want to give you all the rope and you can decide whether you're going to walk on a tightrope, build a bridge, or hang yourself. <laughs> oh, well, for me, I think my main issue with the Manosphere is that it is uh... – doing the same thing that third world third wave feminism did and i've have i've plenty of criticisms of feminism and mm -hmm. uh i think it is creating almost a victim narrative that every issue is woman's fault the man is the victim here and there is some truth in in the manosphere i'm not saying that it's all complete bullshit mm -hmm. but <laughs> i think that 
there's definitely um, something that I consider very toxic is when that kind of perspective is being pushed to young men and being like, no, the it's not your fault that you're single. It's not your fault. It's women, those dirty, dirty women, you know, mm -hmm. it's creating a victim mindset, in my opinion, and making men weak, which is supposed to be the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. Okay, so I want to make sure I direct this in the most productive way possible because I, I, I don't I, don't worry if you feel like you're gonna like offend me or anything. It's not. No, 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 no. It's not about that. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that I, I the audience kind of gets a lot from this. So, like, when you hear the manosphere and like, what are some of the points that you feel and find are the most problematic? Right, like, so let's say when you're listening to somebody talk about the manosphere or what it is. Um, What's like something you would hear that you think is particularly harmful? Let's start there. Okay. Well, I think that like m many of the things that comes out of pearly things is per particularly harmful. I and mean, she's not even a man, so it's very interesting. Um, uh, let's see. So I would say one one thing is that all women are promiscuous. All women are like going to cheat. All women are like, there's like this narrative, especially more so with like the whatever podcast and like mm -hmm. all of these kind of things, fresh and fit. Like it's that all women are just these whores and you just need to find yourself this pure virtuous woman that in my opinion doesn't exist like mm -hmm. it like yeah you you'll sure you can marry a virgin who's 18 and all that fun stuff but like like no one is going to be able to be that archetype of the madonna that these people are acting is like the perfection of femininity you know mm -hmm. um so i think that i also think it gives men a lot of excuses so i'm trying to think of a particular point that i've heard recently Okay, well, uh, perhaps let's start with, um, and I, I don't want this to come off as I'm saying no true Scotsman, but like, when I think about the manosphere in the red pill, um, what it's defined as by the people who I consider leading authorities in the space is basically just positive male identity, male sexual strategy, and then understanding women's nature, right? And one point that I always thought of, and that really helped me in understanding women and obviously getting better with women, is that you, the red pill is supposed to give you tools, right? It's not any prescriptions. This is supposed to teach you women's behaviors so that way you can love them for what they are, not hate them for what they're not, or, you know, love them or hate them for what they can never be. So um, men have the issue where they don't seem to understand that the love that you expect a woman to give you is never, she's never going to be able to do that for you. And I, I don't think this is necessarily equal um, between men and women as in like, um, I had to come to the realization that my wife is never going to come up to me and pat me on the back and give me a kiss on the cheek every single day and tell me that I did a good job today. I'm a worthy man. Like that's what a lot of guys sincerely think. And when you learn more about the red pill, quote unquote, is we're defining it as like the manosphere situation. You learn that that's just not a feasible reality, but you know, you're going to learn more about women's nature and what you can do to give yourself as a guy, better tools to not only understand women's nature, but also how to improve yourself. So that way your relationships with women are a lot better. Right. I, I, 
it's supposed to be a tool set. It's going to be like fire where you can either burn your house down, you could set your neighbor's house on fire, or you could, you know, you could heat your home and then figure out how to cook for the neighborhood, right? Some guys are going to use this information to go burn down the neighborhood. And some guys are going to use it to make their lives more productive and more fulfilling. And, you know, they may call that, some guys call that the purple pill where you're basically using red pill ideology to obtain, um, blue pill ideals where let's say um you know have a wife kids golden retriever picket fence and stuff like that so i, I don't want to give you too too much to respond to but um I, I think you and i may be coming at this a little bit of a different area because you know the red pill is obviously blowing up because this is what everybody wants to talk about and then next is going to be the culture war narrative but um mm-hmm. okay so let, let's uh what are your thoughts on kind of my reply there <laughs> i mean so here's the thing is that I don't what you're talking about they're trying to understand women's nature and all of this stuff. I think that a lot of the it, a lot of their diagnoses, I guess, of women and how women think and how women feel are incorrect. <laughs> As a woman, I think a lot of it is incorrect. Uh and I I think a lot of it is based on these like really like cuz even when they bring up like data points, it's always like like they they always cherry pick certain information and ignore other information okay so um, go ahead um elaborate on that a little bit more if you could so it always comes down to like like for example there's a they're always talking about divorce women are more likely to divorce men all of that stuff but like they don't really take into uh, like the full narrative here because there's also like the statistic that the earlier you get married the more likelihood you will be divorced but they never bring that up they just say that no well everyone needs to get married super young but they th- and they never bring up any of the statistics okay, that so go against that to, that particular narrative okay yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt but um let's say the more original red pill guys so when i think about red pill creators i think of rhinestone rule tomasi because i think those are the two guys who aren't gonna give you fluff and prescriptions they're going to give you information to help you live a better life and like even fresh and fit they know that material but they also kind of play to the clickbait stuff i don't consider whatever podcast to be red pill they're like red pill adjacent but basically that's just kind of you know let's get a it's white claw power hour right we're going to get these women on and we want them to be as hysterical as possible so that way we can get millions of views and then we can have our you know right-leaning religious guy on here to pontificate to these 304s and tell them how they need to behave a little bit better (laughs) you know i'm getting that so yeah um when let's say we go back to more of the guys that like run on rule zero, their recommendation would more so be you should kind of become a better man for you, right? Not for women, but for yourself. So that way you are more desirable to women. So that way they are less likely to, um, I don't say practice hypergamy, but they're not looking for a better option. So you can invoke genuine desire in women. So that way they're not looking for the better option because you are the better option, right? And I this fully agree with that though. Like, like and, and that's, that's a, not yeah. what the a lot of the red pill stuff is really saying though. Well, this I would is say the, the, prob- more, yeah. mo- the more popular stuff right now. I've, I, I've only seen a little bit of Rolo, mm-hmm. um, but that I think that that's, I understand that there's like different genres. So like, I sure. think that... I'm speaking in like a blanket term of manosphere, but like mm-hmm. really I'm talking about these specific people. Like it's, it's almost like the Tatian 
It's like Tate and well, yeah, uh, it, it's it's kind of funny because Andrew Tate has really shape shifted. So if you would listen to him the last co- or you know a couple years ago, he was saying very very similar things. Where um, it's kind of like polygyny, right? Not polygamy, where like it's it's open on his end and closed on his women's end. Yeah. And like I think this is going to get me in trouble, but I think that's actually a sustainable model for some men. But what guys don't understand is that a lot of guys aren't that guy. Like that's not an arrangement that I'm looking because my wife and I agreed before, you know, when we were dating very, very early on, like closed on my own, closed on her end, as in we don't see other people. And I've developed my life so that she doesn't consider other guys. She doesn't message other guys. That just doesn't happen. Um, but women and men obviously interpret sex very, very differently for biological reasons, many, many different reasons. Um, I don't think a majority of guys are going to be able to pursue the lifestyle of it's me and my harem. Right? Yeah, like well, that's, that's not realistic for guys. And I don't think a lot of women would want to enter that specifically with the guys that might be listening to that. So um, I would actually agree with you in your diagnosis that um, that is a little bit of a dangerous narrative to put forth to men because it sounds very attractive. But what a lot of guys don't realize is that they couldn't do that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, and I'm very open. Uh, like I've been in polyamorous relationships. I don't I, I think that polyamory can work for certain people Mm -hmm. um i don't know about this whole like the man it's open and then closed for the woman like i'm sure that that could work for certain people but uh i have a feeling that the women would build resentment so well (laughs) yeah right and i think for some women i would definitely agree but like I guess the one important detail that I perhaps left out in uh, the whole polygyny conversation is that um, typically the couple, so like the man and the woman, see the other women together where like it's not just, you know, him and then, you know, he leaves his wife at home and then goes and runs around. It's typically they're involved together. Um, And and like I said, I think that's a little bit of a – it's like a child with dynamite, right, where this is a little bit of a dangerous narrative to give to the average guy because – um, unfortunately, and this is another thing that I think the red pole gets right is that, um, most guys are invisible to women nowadays because women have so many options and they are available to see the lifestyle that a lot of other women live. And that gives women the impression that they could live a similar lifestyle. And, and this kind of, you know, ties into how men, when they hear about polygyny, they think they could do it. Well, you couldn't. And it's kind of the same deal where women see other women getting flown out or going on these beach vacations or riding on the boats. That couldn't be them, although they think it could, right? And that changes the way that they see other guys. So most women don't understand that, like, your average dude makes like 40 grand a year. He's five foot eight. He's obese. What they're looking for, what a lot of women may think a dad bod is, is someone like who's in better shape than me. And I mean, I'm, pretty damn i'm in pretty damn good shape not not to brag but i mean i, I work my ass off in the gym so like I, I the expectations that women have of men are very very high whereas like the average guy overwhelmingly rates the majority of women attractive and uh, i would I, okay i have pushback okay, on this yeah good no uh so i actually worked as a dating consultant professional wing woman where i mm. helped men <laughs> meet uh, I helped men meet people in the wild, right? Sure. And this perspective that men will just – men are picky as shit, okay? Like mm-hmm. I remember I, a, a lot of my clients were autistic. Not all of them. I had like a lot of really wealthy businessmen too that were actually just looking at relationships and is very mm-hmm. – in like this market marketization of like relationships they were looking at them like a business it's like a business strategy yeah. um and then there was like the more autistic people 
um, that were just very socially awkward and needed someone like me to help them meet people. Mm -hmm. Um, they were picky, like very picky. And in my opinion, I think this really comes down to know thyself, know what you like. This is for men and women. Like you Mm -hmm. need to know who you are, what you have to offer and what you like be objective about your how attractive you are be objective about if and if you aren't attractive i actually don't think women are as focused on attractiveness as men like if you're if you're funny if you're smart if you're uh and yeah of course if you if you're successful like these are the things that i think women care about more so than like the actual physical appearance and so if you are an unattractive man you actually have a way better shot pulling a hot girl than I think a ugly girl pulling a hot guy. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I do not think it on a track. Generally guys will not sleep with unattractive women because, you know, we want something that's relatively attractive, but I feel like men's um, attraction is a lot lower. Like they have a lot lower of an attraction floor than women do. Where women well, who have they'll a lot fuck higher standards. and who they'll marry or who they'll be in a long term relationship is also very different. Like, sure, sure, a man will have sex with whatever <laughs> fucking moves, but like they're not going to <laughs> want to have a long term relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like that's not. Uh, and and when I was doing this dating consulting, mm-hmm. uh, I they were looking for a partner. It wasn't just about getting like a hookup. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about the show's sponsor. We are now brought to you by Fox and Sons Coffee. As you can see right here, I got the Den Blend Dark. Really enjoy that. Um, I've been drinking a lot of their Brazil honey prep right here. As you can hear, there's not a lot of beans left in it because I've been drinking it quite a bit. Um, just to tell you a little bit about Fox and Sons, why I support them and why you should too, is that uh, Stephen had started the company up in Michigan to help teach his son about entrepreneurship. Um, I'm all about that. and I do firmly believe that in order to spread liberty in our lifetimes, we have to support those who support similar values as us. And Stephen does support all the same libertarian values that I bring and talk about on the show a lot. So go to foxandsons.com, use code KYLE at checkout to get 15% off of orders, $25 or more. And there's always free shipping whenever you place an order that is more than $37.99. Um, find their coffee absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure you will too. So uh, one more time, go to foxandsons.com, use code KYLE at checkout to get yourself a little discount, let them know I sent you, and support the coffee that supports you. All right, guys, thanks. Back to the show. So, uh, like, if it was getting a hookup, it would have been way easier. <laughs> so, okay, well, th- that's, I mean, that kind of presents a whole new conversation, but. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, 
did you encourage your clients and and this this is actually kind of interesting because I'll get to pick your brain a little bit on this. Um, I do encourage guys to actually date multiple women when you're kind of early on, right? So if you're not considering a serious relationship, if you're in your early 20s, in maybe even the late 20s, I think you probably should date multiple women. And that's not to say like, you know, tell them you're exclusive, but kind of do the usual thing. You talk, you text, you go on dates. And then, you know, if that does kind of lead to something a little bit more, that's okay too. Um, that's not to say that you should fuck absolutely everything that walks, but I mean, you know, if it, if it happens, it happens. Um, because you're kind of learning what you like and you're learning how to be a socially engaged person, which I think a lot of people are sorely lacking now. So this is why I think it's actually um, Tinder and all these dating apps actually help men to a degree, but you have to be able to use them and you have to be able to kind of back it up, right? Like this is obviously very helpful for me prior to meeting my wife and my wife and I've been together for almost five years now, but like, I think it's a good thing that guys have access to a lot more women, although they're not necessarily going to get those matches. I think it's good. This kind of like where the PUA insights were really, really good. The pickup artistry is that, you know, you just go approach, you spam approaches. And that's once again, it's oh, not that safe. is That is my, what my advice was. Too. Okay. Yeah. Was good, like throwing good. darts, throwing, yeah. you just throw darts and see what sticks, you know, <laughs> yeah. keep throwing the darts. Like, and mm-hmm. I actually think that this is I think I'm going to blame feminism for this mm-hmm. is that uh, they like this whole concept of the male gaze and that like it's and that like if a guy just hits on you, it's in some way predatory. Mm-hmm. Like I je- I hate that. I think that that is super toxic. It's a very toxic perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that and it's making men afraid to approach women mm-hmm. because they're afraid that the woman is going to like shame them or shun them. And it's and and I think that. In truth, in honesty, women actually like being chased. They like being approached. They like it. Like, mm-hmm. and so this narrative is very like uh dishonest, mm-hmm. I would say. It's very dishonest. And I think that it does really come down to men having to uh keep throwing darts. And the more you do it, you can't take the rejection personally because mm-hmm. you're gonna get rejected, of course. Yes. Like you, I mean you gotta get used to it. Don't take mm-hmm. it personally and be like, oh well, I got rejected, so now I'm out of the game, you know, like I don't want to do it anymore. Keep mm-hmm. doing it, and then eventually you will build confidence by continuing to do it. And eventually it it will stick. But mm-hmm. you but it also comes back to working on yourself, which was like my other aspect of what I told clients was like, you need to work on you. Mm-hmm. And similar to what we were saying that the, that the good aspect of the manosphere, what they say, it's like, mm-hmm. you need to develop yourself as a person and not for a woman, but for yourself. And then mm-hmm. eventually like a woman will see that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when it came to your clients, let's say trying to game women, um, I often tell, well, you know what? Okay. So how would you tell men to kind of talk to women if you ever, were in that situation or did you just kind of get them to meet up with women and then let them handle it from there? Well, I was, I was the catalyst. So that's what they hired me for. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that would start and every person was different. Um, but I'm the one that would start the conversation. I would be like, okay, what girls do you want to talk to? And so I would help them with that. But when I wasn't there, my advice was like, just keep throwing darts the issue was i've noticed was that a lot of men even when i opened up the conversation they couldn't they couldn't take control like they wanted Mm -hmm. me to just like be the closer for them and i'm like i can't close for you you've got to do that part i can open Mm -hmm. up the discussion i can get you talking 
get her talking. So, and another thing I would do is I would get as much information about the guy as possible. And I would, what his, I would basically figure out, okay, what would a woman find attractive about you? And Mm -hmm. for some people, it would be, they are successful. They have a business, you know, like um, they have multiple like real estate. They're funny. And if they're funny, I'd be like, okay, well you need to, you know, bump it up a notch, <laughs> like, uh, like show, have them show those qualities. And then I would also kind of talk them up like in conversation, like bring up these positive qualities. And, and I think females seeing it coming from a female, it's like, Oh, like I, mm. there's like a level of trust there. Um, it's well, okay. So that's actually a good thing because it's pre-selection, right? So if a guy's friends with other women, then obviously that's some other women see that as, okay, well, he's good with women. So therefore, um, you know, I can trust him because, you know, it, it, guys think like, oh, well, me and all my bros should go clubbing together. But and I used to think the same thing. But then as I've learned more and more, no, actually, you know, when you're married or anything like that, then that's a side of pre-selection when we're going to find that attractive because it is true that a woman doesn't a woman doesn't love a man necessarily who can cheat or who does cheat but they love a man who could right because they want a guy who has Mm. options right i I will say yeah i will say also like that uh personally i always thought it's super hot if a girl hits on the guy that i'm dating you know (laughs) like that's hot as shit like i don't know if guys feel that way when like a guy hits on their girlfriend like no. I, I, like <laughs> no, but i all. think it's hot like i'm like ooh, my my he's desirable like and it like rem, you know like i like that but i'm also not a very jealous person so i might be a rarity on this but mm-hmm. this is in my personal opinion i find it attractive and it doesn't like instigate jealousy within me yeah i i don't think women have the same innate um jealousy that men do um men get jealous really, really quick because um it's a form of mate guarding where they don't want we want to know the fucking kids ours. So um, if, you know, the woman's getting hit on by another guy or showing attention to another guy, then typically that's like a red flag in our brain. So that's why like men don't want their woman, you know, sleeping around with other guys. Um, women, I feel like don't necessarily have the same drive because um, they don't necessarily, it's like I said, it's pre-selection. They're going to find their guy very attractive. Now, obviously if he's fucking other women, then that's a little bit of a different story, but yeah, like, unless there's you, like that communication that that's okay. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's like an emotional thing, right? Women want to know the context, whereas men want to know like, okay, did you fuck him? <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's, that's the ax dropping moment for us. Um, so uh, I'm, kind of interested about your thoughts with like the trads that are kind of dipping their toe into the red pill sphere because um well you know you gotta go first and then i'll give my thoughts on it well so in my opinion i don't think there's anything wrong with being trad like Mm -hmm. i think that like for some people that works but i i don't like this like broad strokes like you know Mm -hmm. generalization that that works for everybody and that that is the only way to be happy and that is the only way to like have a successful relationship is Mm -hmm. by being the super trad person like sure that's going to work for some people but it's not going to work for everyone and i also think that it there's almost this aspect of them taking away like the the woman as an individual like like she is just the the wife and the breeder you know like but she's no longer like a person (laughs) like Mm -hmm. with a personality and like uh 
thoughts and opinions and like it's almost they act like they would prefer a woman that didn't have those like they want someone that's just submissive and will do whatever they want which in my opinion i don't i actually think that that is a lie that they don't actually want that long term because once you get past the kids stage and the looks have faded what are you left with if they don't have anything else to offer other than be your wife you're gonna get sick of them and then they're gonna cheat then you're going to cheat or you're going to be very tempted to cheat because they're not going to spark any sort of desire or uh, even like intellectual stimulation. And it feels like a lot of like in particular, the whatever pod podcast and like even Andrew Tate, he be he's like a man and a woman can never be friends. Like what does a woman have to offer in friendship? Like what is she going to talk about her shoes? It's like it's such a like stereotype of like this is all a woman can be. She she is just the the breeding wife and that's it. And I think in the end, it those people that do that are going to end up very miserable in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I get annoyed with the trads because it, it's a prescription for a 20th century ideal when we live in the 21st century. And like a lot of the things that would have made, you know, traditional marriage um, very necessary, we don't necessarily have the same pressures in the 21st century anymore. And, um, you know, I've, I've been listening to Peter Zion a lot. And the reason why this is relevant is because it's like a demographic conversation where like back a hundred years ago, you would have needed a big old family with a reliable wife to, you know, have kids to work around the farm and all that. But, you know, now as we industrialize more and more and more, then kids are almost like a luxury item because, you know, you don't necessarily, it sounds fucked up, but like <laughs> you have to have a lot of spare income to take care of your yeah. kids, send them to daycare and, you know, go on vacation, stuff like that. You don't need the fuck trophies around to take care of the pigs out in the barn or anything like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's not to say people shouldn't have kids because, you know, my wife and I are going to live very similar to that lifestyle. But, um, you know, the idea of barefoot and pregnant is a 20th century ideal. And I think a lot of those guys are living in the past and they think that if men would just man up, right, and they have no incentive to man up, let's, you know, let's not have that conversation. But um, if men would just man up, then women would fall in line. It's like, well, no, because there's so many different pressures and we're not in that world anymore and women aren't interested in that world anymore. In the same way, um, you know, it's just not feasible for most people anymore. And even when that happened, like they're romanticizing something, it wasn't all fucking like sunshine and rainbows. Like men cheated on their wives often. The Madonna whore complex is a very real thing where a man will turn their wife into the Madonna, into the pure, the mother, you know, the, the virtuous mother archetype. And then like the sex dies because like when you're putting that, they need to find the whore somewhere else because they can't, they can't envision this pure mother of my child as that as well and then like freud and young talked about this a lot and i think people are forgetting that that is a real thing and even in the 1950s and all of these times that people like to glorify like men were cheating on their wives <laughs> like mm -hmm. often like it's very normalized <laughs> like, well uh, i think that kind of goes back to the conversation of that you know we almost Men are almost shamed for having sexual desires, and especially by like the trad community. And at the same time, like you're not going to have the virgin wife anymore. Um, th that's just like I said, it's 20th century ideal. And to this is where I go to bat with religious people, and I'm not religious. I don't have any problems with religion per se, but like 
the idea that you're going to tell men and maybe in some cases women to just like pray your horniness away um, or you're in a dead bedroom. Yeah. You're in a dead bedroom marriage and tell them if, if you just pray, then God's going to bring you everything you need. Um, I think that's kind of bullshit. And I think that's kind of a, a very, very bad prescription for people who have a legitimate problem. Like you're in a marriage, you want to fuck. And like, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't give you tips around that. And I'm not dogging the Bible. It's just not the right tool for the job. This is where somebody like Rhinestone, who specifically a lot of his content is for like the long-term relationship stuff. I think that's where it gets useful because you want to have tools to be able to figure out, okay, well, is it something with me? Is it something with her? Or what am I not doing to elicit a response that I want to see, right? This is diagnosing behaviors and then using behaviors or you know ways to modify yourself to help kind of reinvigorate the the juice that got you two together or to bring the bedroom back to life and it's going to take work on both people's ends but you know if you don't know how to take a step towards that then you know like i said i think the trads and the religious folk don't have a prescription for that and that's something that i think a lot of people probably need um a prescription for because i mean there's a lot of religious people who are addicted to porn so you know i I think that's where the manosphere is very very helpful as well at least in, in that capacity well and i also think religious people don't they don't read the bible in context like most of the very like uh in the new testament at least the very like uh I would say anti anti sex stuff is was written by Paul, who was celibate, also a very short man. He was like four eleven. He was bald and bow legged, like he was the original incel. Like, and so of course, <laughs> like he like w- in the Bible, he literally says he's like, well, you know, it, it, in an ideal world, everyone would be as pure as me, but I know that you all can't, so you need to like find that one wife and all of that fun stuff, you know. And not everything that he's saying is wrong, but I. I think that people don't read that in the context of who wrote it, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and his particular perspective, because I there is no doubt in my mind that him being, you know, unattractive and not being someone that actually could get women would have a particular perspective on that stuff. The like bitter incel kind of energy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's. I'm not as well versed on the Bible as like anybody else. So I, I literally don't know anything about it, but I, I just get annoyed when you see that, uh, whatever the fuck his name is, he's sovereign bra on Twitter and he's, you know, advo- yeah, yeah. I, Dude, I find good. That man, I think that he is going to either end up staying single because he's never going to find that ideal woman. He's, sa- he's, he's very sanctimonious. For. Yes. Yes. Or he's going to end up in a very unhappy marriage. Like, and I, I, I firmly believe that. Like, I don't think that the woman that he has idealized is real. I think it's made up in his head. And I don't know if any woman's going to be able to live up to that. Okay. So I think this really, really encapsulates this whole part of the conversation very, very nicely. Um, Understanding the red pill ideology, at least in today's context, this is basically just like the way that the leading authorities kind of in the red pill and like i said rollo or ryan they would refer to it as like just guys sharing notes from all over the world to help kind of figure out their situations and learn different behaviors it to help just inform them to make better decisions about women when you have an ideal like that then you really set yourself up for failure because you're building this image up in your head of this woman that's going to be perfect for you 
And she can only disappoint at that point because you have this complacency in your mind of what she will be and how she's going to live up to your expectations. And when she doesn't, then, you know, you're going to think that there's something wrong with her rather than just understanding that she could never be that ideal. Like when I'm sure most guys experience this and I try to encourage them away from this, but like whenever guys start talking to women, I'm, I'm guessing you've probably experienced this too. Guys, as soon as they start talking to a woman, they want to do everything they can to get her attracted to them. So they're just going to tell her every last little detail, but they don't understand those are the exact behaviors that are going to chase her away. No, what do you, wait, so what do you mean? Like they tell her what? Oh, they want to be very, very emotional and tell them all oh. about their past and just basically elicit sympathy sex from her. Not like to a T, but like they're doing everything they can to just give the woman all the information, just have a conversation with her rather than leaving the feminine intuition do what it does and let her figure it out for herself because that's much more attractive to a woman than you know you trying to spell everything out for her because that like i said those kind of behaviors where you're just constantly trying to beg for her attention that's gonna drive a woman away more than anything yeah i mean i think there's a balance here i personally mm -hmm. i value communication and i like people that can communicate and aren't you know, beating around the bush. And if there is things in their past that they need to tell me, I would actually prefer that, you know, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't see it as like sympathy sex, but I do know what you mean. I think probably with a good amount of women, you might be, you might be correct. Um, it's not necessarily about hiding things or omitting the truth. It's more about like guys will do everything they can and take every last little opportunity to compliment somebody and not saying that you should never compliment, but like, I noticed that guys will do everything to dog other guys in her past or take every single chance they can to put themselves up rather than, mm -hmm. once again, leave it to the woman to find these things out on her own or let her use her imagination, which I think, once again, is going to be a lot more attractive, attractive to a woman, letting her figure you out rather than you trying to spell everything out for her. Because every single time I see this one, guys are just blowing up her phone. I'm like, you're done, dude. You're done. If she's not texting you back, then you're done. I think it is like a push and pull type of thing where yes, it depends, absolutely. you know, like it's like there's got to be you can't be completely hard to get, you know, mm -hmm. you can't. I think right. that that will push a woman away. You have to mm -hmm. have involved some sort of chase. And I also think that women actually like feeling desired, but mm -hmm. you have there's a balance there. Yeah. You know, I think it's a, it's a it's you know it's a dance. <laughs> I think. Well, yeah, no, that's that. yeah, that's typically the way that I put it as well. But um, I, like I said, I think that just the majority of guys tend to just do emotional vomit onto a woman, mm. expecting that she'll reciprocate the same thing. When, like you said, I, I do believe it's a dance. But um, I, I typically don't see guys going in the fashion of being too cold. I typically see them going in the fashion of being too overbearing. And I get it because you think that's going to work, but that's I, I think that's a bad way to err. I think it depends on the man, though. I feel mm -hmm. like, well, so there's different. It's if the man is insecure, you know. I guess mm -hmm. that that I would agree, but I would say there's also this aspect of men, especially now, feeling like they have to be more cold in mm -hmm. order to attract the woman. I think that there is an aspect of that. Um, and so going back to the dating consulting thing, I've also had clients. Who were, who were very wealthy, leaned on their success almost too much, but they didn't like develop themselves as a person at all. And so, and this is my, when people say, all you need is money and you'll get the girls. 
that's, that's not true. Like, it's like not, you also right. need to have a personality and you need to like, you know, be interesting. And he and these like more successful types definitely were the ones that looked at it as like this business transaction. And like they had like all of these like guidelines of what they wanted. Like, I want mm. a girl that works remote. I want a blonde. She has to be this this weight. She has to like they had mm. all of these things that they they were like, I have enough money. I should just be able to go and buy a wife, you know? <laughs> like, well, and I approached dating yeah. in that way. They're they're doing what guys do in a seductive problem solving. They think that um, if I check off this 432 bullet point checklist, um, they're looking at it as a business problem rather than something just that isn't a business problem where like, you know, we were kind of establishing earlier that it is a little bit of a push and pull and that if you're just going to throw money at the problem, it's probably not going to work. Or if you just constantly do peacocking in the form of look at all my success, then it's not going to work, right? This kind of has to be an implicit thing where I believe that women probably want to know your value without you having to berate them over the head with it, right? Like I said, it's kind of letting somebody figure you out rather than just constantly berating them with what you think they want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that that's definitely... <laughs> it's Definitely is a very interesting job. It actually changed my, but it also gave me a lot of sympathy for men too, because mm -hmm. the, I will say one thing that really bothered me was that with some of the more like autistic shyer men that just have, that struggle socially, um, women You could just talking... admit that you were doing libertarian party dating setups. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, they, uh, like women were mean as fuck to them. And so, mm -hmm. and I- I get mad at women for that. Like if, yeah. if a man is getting the confidence to hit on you, like don't be a bitch. Like it's okay. You, you can gently be like, I'm not interested or even me. I mean, I think maybe because I worked in this, so I have a lot more sympathy for that. I, I usually I'll flirt back, you know, like even though I'm not interested, you know, I'll give them a little mm -hmm. attention so that they can build up their confidence and hopefully go talk to another girl that is more interested you know, it's it's all about building their confidence up. And if they're not being like, you know, rude or like disgusting about it, mm -hmm. like just coming up to you and starting a conversation and telling you like or even just saying like you're beautiful or something like there's no reason to like be a bitch about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, a theory that I heard and. I, I don't think it's perfect, but I do think it works is uh, it's called the error management theory where uh, men interpret all positive interactions with women as sexual interest and women interpret all positive actions with men um, as just them being friendly. Um, I, like I said, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it does kind of work. And you see that play out quite a bit where every single time a girl is nice to a guy, typically um, because it would benefit him in his past to think that a woman's sexually interested in him. Um, I think that every single time a woman's nice, a guy does misinterpret that as sexual interest. Now, as far as women go, that's a little bit beyond my scope of, um, you know, a, a ability to know for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, I think I don't know. I guess it depends. I think that definitely for me, I would normally assume that the guy is flirting is interested in me to be completely honest. If like mm -hmm. he's because I don't think that men will give attention to a woman unless they are sex like interested in mm -hmm. sex or something. That's all you women know? for guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, Just about yeah. all women. Yeah. So I, in my opinion, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I am. I would interpret a man coming up and starting a conversation and like talking to me like that. I would assume that that means that there's like some sort of sexual interest, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, so I don't think that 
most women are that stupid to assume that the guy just wants the guy just really wants to be your friend you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like i do think after a while i think that you can develop a friendship with them though like so even if a guy might have initially only talked to me because uh he was attracted to me and then eventually gets to know me and he's like oh this girl's kind of cool mm -hmm. i actually could be friends with her you know and like is less invested in like the sexual part because mm -hmm. you know like there actually is some sort of friendship developing i think that there's like that that's the issue with like this red pill space they act like a woman can't be any sort of value of friendship or anything it's all like sex or nothing mm -hmm. okay so now what about uh, your perspective for uh men interpreting positive interactions from women oh yeah well i do think that they probably do assume that mm -hmm. the woman is interested in them i would mm -hmm. i would agree with that yeah <laughs> and yeah <laughs> but and so i but i don't think that that's inherently wrong i don't know do you think that it's manipulative if or not manipulative, but like dishonest, I guess. If, if you know, a socially awkward guy hits on me and I, you know, flirt back and all that stuff, even though I'm not interested, is that harmful or do you think that it's a good thing to do? I'm going to say, I don't want to say good or bad, but I would lean towards a little bit more bad. I know I just really? said I'm not going to say good or bad. Well, because if. <laughs> It's setting up a bad expectation because if you show sexual interest in a guy, then typically he's going to want to pursue that. Well, um, not showing sexual sexual interest, but just being like nice, you know, because that's if you're what is flirting, to be honest. Well, okay, so <laughs> let, if, we're, if we're going on like a scale from one to ten, if you're saying yes, you're attractive to, then okay, well, that implies sexual interest, right? Which I'm not saying you're doing that, but you, I think you understand where I'm coming from with that. Now, if you're just kind of like you respond nicely and you continue the conversation, um, a lot of guys are going to have trouble separating that from sexual interest because once again, I think a majority of guys do interpret a woman who shows favorable body language, let's say, not even like straight up sexual body language, but let's just say like she seems like she's interested in continuing the conversation. Um, It's pretty hard for a guy to gauge there's my dog um to gauge whether or not that woman's sexually interested or if she's just being nice do you follow what i'm saying what's up everybody um we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors um we are brought to you by element t electrolytes i've been using this stuff for years and what i've honestly found is that if i didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio and sometimes even before workouts that my workout performance or and definitely cardio performance would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. And let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it um, also it tastes really really good get some uh, chocolate cream or hazelnut cream or even coconut and uh, mix that all up it tastes really really good so uh yeah make sure you drop by go to drinklmnt.com slash in liberty and health and uh pick you up some electrolytes today all right guys thanks so yeah. that's why i and then, like, let's say you have a good interaction, and then he goes for a close. He wants your number, or something like that. 
and then you say, hey, I'm not interested, then I think that's a little bit hard for the guy to stomach. But at the same time, at least he may understand that, like, hey, maybe I have the capacity to do this with another woman. Yeah, I mean, like, so I would say, like, I wouldn't keep it going to the point of him thinking that there was, like, closing or, like, getting to, like, the number Mm -hmm. point. It would just be more of, like, a conversation where I'm, like, and how I view it is, like, helping them build confidence so that they feel confident enough to communicate. Because I think that that's another thing that women, I would say this is one of the most like top things that a woman is attracted to is confidence. Mm-hmm. Like you can be like not that physically attractive, but if you exude confidence and you've got Riz, like a woman's gonna. Riz, be- I can't believe God, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've only heard that like the last couple months. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I can't keep up with this lingo. <laughs> <laughs> like then, yeah, a woman I think will be more interested in you. So I think mm-hmm. the building up confidence aspect is important. But I can, I see your point too, that it also, you know, it's like basically, oh, but I don't want to like think of everything in like market contexts. And and I hate that the red pill space does this where it's all about like high value and like, like it's all in like these like economic terms. And I don't think that relationships are that simplistic to be in that kind of like framework. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a difference between, like, let's say a relationship and then just trying to gain women, right? Where, like, you know, that's obviously a lot of this more economic kind of stuff is going to be more important for guys who are looking to gain women and, you know, kind of get to that long-term relationship point versus where when you're in that long-term relationship or marriage, um, now the tables are turned a little bit and you kind of have to understand how to still maintain attraction with your wife through other means rather than what you would do to, let's say, pick up a woman at a bar or something like that. Yeah. So I haven't watched a lot of like the role, the other, like the manosphere content that you're talking about. And there probably is a lot more good there, but mm-hmm. it's hard because I just am seeing the more toxic stuff and people yeah. like pearly things who I think her shit is like an actual grift. Well, yeah, no, no, it completely is. And this is the fucking problem. And it's the same deal with the whatever podcast where um the manosphere becomes a popular topic. So you can hitch your name to it. And Candace Owens did this back in 2015, right? Her name was Red Pill Black, which no one would remember. And she was, you know, partying around talking about how she was proud of her doxing website. And nobody remembers any of this stuff because now she's just, you know, your token black conservative. Um, but like everybody wants to talk about the red pill now because now it's like a container word, right? Where you know, I tell you that I'm red pill and then you fill it with your hopes and dreams and assume that I'm on your side because everybody who's red pill has to be with your lingo, right? It's just like a backpat where now everybody who's red pill, you know, they, like I said, they just fill it with their hopes and dreams rather than just, you know, the original red pill was, you know, from like the PUA days, but now everybody uses it for political context or just whatever context they want to use to pat themselves on the back and call everybody blue pill who disagrees with them. That's where it gets annoying. And then Pearl is a perfect example of a pick me who once again, will just use men's issues as a way to kind of boost her own audience rather than, you know, actually help men who need help. Right. That's kind of what I think the red pill seeks to do is once again, make better men or give them the tool, give men tools to make themselves better men. So that way they can, you know, do with their life as they see fit. Whereas Pearl will just seek to boost her own ego through using men's issues. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that the manosphere and like the red pill stuff probably all started out with a beautiful intentions and i don't see anything Mm. wrong with the (laughs) helping men and all of that like i think that's great and a very honorable like 
cause and is very needed right now. But the mm -hmm. issue is like now it's getting so convoluted with all this other nonsense. Mm -hmm. And and like and and going back to how I think it's creating this victim mindset, like I see what men men say on like pearly things is like Twitter and stuff, and it's like so cringe. I'm like, yeah. these men are literally like, oh, they sound like these they sound like women who think that they're a victim, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it's the same thing that who blame men for everything. You know, mm -hmm. a woman's like, oh, it's all the patriarchy's fault. You know, it sounds the exact same. It's just changing genders and pointing the finger in the other direction when really it's it's not the simp that simple. Like it's way more complicated and complex and nuanced. These things yeah. are so nuanced. Relationships are nuanced. Attraction and what makes someone attractive. Sometimes it's weird. Like sometimes you're attracted to someone and it's literally a like energetic vibe thing. And you can't even like put that into into like a context or a way to like describe that to someone. You know, there's just some people that you're like, I don't know. I just I just like them. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that's more of uh, a genuine desire coming out because you feel um, that that person in that certain context may be your best option. You feel attracted to them in that way. And once again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. Um, Rolo had said in 2021 that you won't recognize the manosphere by around this time. And it's kind of funny because it's absolutely true because now you have all these people who, once again, seek to promote themselves by using the red pill. You had said something there and I had something I really wanted to bring up, but I completely, oh, whenever I see a guy going off simping or talking about how bad their situation is, there's nothing that frustrates me more because this is another thing that is going to drive women away from you because women really don't care about men's struggles. They can say that they do, but um, the woman that you're sexually attracted to really does not care about your struggles until she's with you for a long-term relationship, right? The stranger woman on the street does not care that your dick hurts and that you can't kill it. She, <laughs> she just doesn't. It. It's true. Um, men have a burden of performance, right? We are expected to live up to a certain standard to be attractive to women. That just is what it is. You can bitch about it. You can cry in pearly things, quote tweets about how she's right and about how, you know, life is so hard, but... It, the honest truth is that as a guy, you have to accept that nobody gives a fuck um, and that you're going to have to work very, very hard to overcome that. And um, just whenever I see guys saying, oh, my heart's broken, I'm like, L you cannot post stuff like that out there because it just nobody cares. I used to do it because you think you're going to get some kind of sympathy, but like I said, nobody cares. So <laughs> you might as well do your best and make yourself the best person that you can be for you. And then that's going to probably put you a lot closer to the situation that you want to be rather than crying about how bad your dick hurts because um, she's fucking giga Chad or somebody that you wish you could be. Yeah. And, and I think that someone like Pearl, it's also not just harming men. Like it's harming women too. And it's harming it's women. I think that right now, especially there needs to be like a femosphere or something like we, there needs to be something to help women as well in these situations because all they're really getting is like these, like whatever podcast clips and, mm -hmm. you know, pearly things saying that you're fucking useless after the age of 30 and like mm -hmm. all, all this stuff. And that's just, it's just not accurate. Like even in, even when she just recently posted about like, she's just like, and, and, not saying that this is completely invalid, but it's like she said um, that a woman at 35 will always be less attractive than she was in her 20s or something like that. And like yeah. this whole push about how a woman will always be like 
You're just always going to become uglier. And in my opinion, I'm like, that doesn't really help either side because it's like, why get married then mm -hmm. if that's all that matters? If men only value youth and beauty, what's the point in getting into a relationship with them if inevitably you can't do anything to make that stop? Like you can't make yourself not age you can do your best but you can't like and then they also talk shit about botox and fillers and it's like bro that's literally like how a woman can stay attractive is by like in my opinion in a conservative way using things like that for the long term but mm -hmm. so it's like a catch-22 they're like all women need to like their only value is youth and beauty but you're also not allowed to if you if you're vain and you try to actually stay youthful and be beautiful for the long term like you're just fake like, what 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 is a woman supposed to do then? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, like I said, the goal should be is that you just understand women for what they are and use the tools that are given to you to, you know, just understand the nature of your reality to live a life that's going to make you happy, right? And clearly it's going to be different from person to person to person. But um, it is kind of silly to say that, you know, no woman's going to be more attractive at 35 than 25. Like women can do a lot to stay in shape and, you know, take care of themselves at the age. But yeah, I mean, the truth is that you are more likely to be less attractive as you get older, but that's not like the rock bottom truth. And that's not going to be monolithically true for everybody. You can stay attractive as you get older. If you, it's just going to require a little bit more work. That's all. And it's interesting because pearly things isn't like objectively attractive too. So it's like her no. saying these things. I'm like, <laughs> do you think that you're like, you know, like if this, this is you at your peak is what you're saying. And like, <laughs> that means that you're just going downhill from now. Like I don't, I, and I don't like to like really focus on like whether she's focused on people's appearance but it's like that's one of the things she talks about so much and it's like bro have you looked in the mirror though like you're not you're not like anything to write home about like i don't understand and i know 35 year olds that are hotter than pearl i know 40 year olds that are hotter yeah true but i know 40 year olds that are like significantly like like hotter than pearl like so it's weird that she like really fixates on this <laughs> yeah well it Something like that clearly gets a lot of attention. Like, uh, you probably saw the tweet Rolo threw out where he said, uh, how to become a high value man. And it had like all these steps. And one of the steps was get a vasectomy oh, and avoid yeah. family creation. And what's funny is that I even kind of fell for it because what nobody was able to discern is that that's not a recommendation, right? This is just saying he's actually right when you think about it because if you have a family when you're in your early 20s it's going to be very very hard for you to gain a lot of wealth and resources and stuff like that because you're gonna be using them on on children and what people couldn't separate is that like that may be high value for you and you may enjoy that right but if you want to become like maximally high value in this 21st century ideal where you're driving a bugatti and have all this money and access to whatever then it's probably going to benefit you to avoid family creation. But once again, that's not to say you should or shouldn't up to you what you want to do. Me, I'm okay with not having all the money in the world. If that means I have a wife, you know, or three dogs and a kid eventually, um, that's perfectly fine by me. But for other guys, it may not be. Yeah. Though that's the thing is that we all have different value systems and these, and these groups like this manosphere group is like acting like this is everyone's the same. Instead of, and we're all individuals, like I'm very much think that everyone is an individual and not 
what what works for one person isn't going to work for everybody and like even though people can act like getting married young and the nuclear family and all that stuff is like this amazing ideal it is not going to work for everyone and it is not going to make it could it might not make you happy like it can't be your source of happiness getting married you can't get married because you think it's going to fulfill you like if you think that that's going to be like what fulfills you like i think that you're going to end up very disappointed and even having children if you think just having children is going to fulfill you i think that women do this often where a woman thinks like oh if i just have kids it's going to give me purpose Mm -hmm. and so they have children and they put everything you know into these kids and then their kids turn 18 and then what do they have they have nothing like and they have no sense of self because they put everything into these children and like that's it you have to still develop as an individual you have to still Mm -hmm. even having a family getting married you have to still develop yourself and you know uh, (laughs) self-actualize like and like that i think is really important and it seems like it's being completely missed in this space like people are just not talking in these terms yeah, so this kind of goes to the idea of enlightened self-interest where, um, like I said earlier, you have to help yourself before you can best help other people. And I think being happy with yourself and kind of getting to a point where you realize you don't need somebody else is a lot more important than thinking that getting into your ideal relationship is going to bring you happiness. Because I think if you're depending on somebody else, specifically a given situation that is an ideal to make you happy, you'll be nothing but disappointed. But if you can live by yourself and be happy and know that like your goals for like just bare minimum, keeping yourself happy, you know, I can cook, I look good, I can lift heavy things, I have a hobby that I enjoy, things outside of depending on other people. If Mm. you have all that stuff checked off, then you know, I think it's probably best then at that point to consider getting into a long-term relationship because you're no longer holding this ideal that will never be realized. And even if you do get close to that, there's going to be something that's going to change in your mind and you're not going to be happy with that situation anyways, because once again, it's an ideal. As soon as it's realized, there's going to be, or as soon as you think it's realized, there's going to be holes because we're all flawed people. Yeah. And uh, like nothing's hotter than passion and people that are like you know i think that when a a man or a woman i'm bisexual so i'm attracted to both but i think it's super hot when they're like passionate about things when they when they have interests and goals and like they have these skills and like all of that stuff i personally find that like very attractive whether it's a man or a woman that they that they have something outside of just relationships you know there are those people that literally like need you know those serial daters that like have to be in a serial monogamous yep yeah they have to be in a relationship in order to like feel happy or fulfilled it's a very bad place very bad place and i've dated someone like that before And, and and it's not good because they almost don't they don't like they don't like that you have interests you know they don't like that you are passionate about other things other than them they mm-hmm. want you to just care about them and that's it. And if you yeah. start to be passionate, like I'm a very passionate person with a fuck ton of interests and have lots of jobs and I like that. Um, and so someone like that will almost get jealous of the interests, you know, because it's like a distraction from them. Right. Yeah. It's like crabs in a barrel. And that's a very, very, there, there's someone close to me that's kind of like that. And uh, 
you just kind of grab and shake them and tell them like, you're not going to be happy no matter what. I think you really need to kind of settle things for you and then you move on rather than trying to just constantly monkey branch. Cause that's a very, very bad situation. And like you said, it's, it's you're just not going to be happy. Yeah. And like, and I don't, is there anyone in, you said that there are, I guess I need to check in the manosphere space that is really telling people to like, you know, not have it not just be about getting a woman, but have it really be about building themselves and like, you know, figuring their shit out first. <laughs> like, cause I don't see that content. Mm. So <laughs> Justin Waller, Mike Sartain, Rolo Tomasi. And I would Ryan say Rolo Stone. sometimes does. I don't know. Does he though? You, you have I to listen to his streams. You have to listen to his streams. Okay. If you're, if you're looking at his, if you're looking at anybody's Twitter, you're getting the fluff. It's funnel marketing, right? You throw yeah. a bunch of shit out there to see what sticks and you get a ton of engagement and then hopefully that transfers over to your website, your podcast, whatever. And then they see the value that you're giving there, right? Like I throw up pictures of myself shirtless every here and there and then I'll throw information out underneath of it, right? Stuff like that. Um, yeah, it, it, those those guys are probably the better guys to listen to. But if you're listening to whatever podcast, um, Fresh and Fit to a large degree. Um, yeah, Fresh and Fit is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's just white claw power hour. It's clicks. It's rage bait. You're you're not getting really any value there. Um, yeah, we've been going for almost an hour and a half now. Yeah, Jesus Christ, it flew by. Um, I got a, a little bit of run to do after this. Um, Brandy, I really really enjoyed this. So, um, if you don't have anything else, I'll go ahead uh, give you the floor to plug everything, and we will definitely do this again. Yeah, this was great conversation. I love I love this topic in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at creatrix underscore TTV and on Twitch and on Instagram. Woo! Nice. All right. Well, uh, be sure to send me all the links. And um, like I said, we'll definitely have to do this again. Maybe do a, a live one next time because I really, really enjoyed this conversation and uh, it filled some questions. Um, yeah, it's a really, really cool topic. And, uh, you know, I, it's going to go away, but, you know, I'll still be passionate about it because I've been passionate about it for years and years and years. And I think it's very, very important that, uh, people talk about these issues so that way they can better understand not only themselves, but the people that they're attracted to. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if you don't got anything else, we'll close her out. Sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Brandy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.